Domingo Santana Ooh, I wanna add you to my roster In Roto, replacing Gio Soto Giolito and Brito Baby, where my fab go? Near the Florida Keys There's a place in Miami That's where you wanna be To get ahead of your At sea. He'll help in points or OBP. Heath will approve cause he's under 30. Cause Heath's an ageist on the podcast. Mazzara and Para project to M.I. Wara. Herrera, Cabrera, don't let the bandits scare ya. Machado or Bono or no. Long day of fantasy baseball begins for us right now. It is 9.15 in the morning on Friday, March 6th. Happy Friday. Happy Kokomo Friday, Scott and Chris. Hey, Kokomo. Mm-hmm. That's where I want to go. Yes, sir. Chris is here, but too. My favorite, my favorite version of Kokomo, no offense to the amazing Doc Crotzer, lovely man who I met once, uh, the Muppets version, right? No we all idea. remember the Muppets version of Kokomo. Not a clue. We don't. No. no. <laughs> you guys, not familiar. You guys haven't lived, my not, friends. Not really a Muppets guy. Uh, you and he. Well, no, I don't something, dislike something Adam them. and he can Man, agree on. <laughs> unbelievable. He needs to start dude. a thread for that. No, the no, people no. that they will just let on this podcast <laughs> without screening. It's what not is that. wrong with you I, that you don't like the Muppets? I didn't say that. You're not listening. It's not that I don't like them. I don't really know the Muppets. I'm looking forward to learning more about the Muppets as the as my child gets older. <laughs> did you just did you? <laughs> I, I I don't remember. I, I for whatever reason, like all I remember is like Ninja Turtles, Inspector Gadget. Uh, by the way, I watched a new episode of Inspector Gadget uh, the other night. I dude, it's not what it used to be. Okay, anyway, you let's. Mean you- yeah, there's no, a new Inspector Gadget, or you watched an old episode of Inspector Gadget? No, like when when we were growing up, Inspector Gadget was like a crude cartoon that looked like it was from the '90s. Now it's like all 2020, and it's just there, yeah. so there's a new one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know there was a new one. Okay, so they remade Inspector Gadget. Oh yeah, just sure. go watch the video for "Keep Fishing" by Weezer. It's oh. got the Muppets. Yeah, animal that's, plays that's drums. A good one. It's a delight. Okay, okay. Let's get baseball going here. Busts and auction stuff today. Uh, I've got some auction tips that I'm going to do for the first time. That It always seems to screw me when I'm drafting, and I forget about players. You know, you don't, you don't like, necessarily queue players up. It's just a different experience. And, and there are guys that get nominated, and I'm like, oh, I wish I still had money for that player. Oh, oh man, I wish I didn't fill that position. So... Be, it, preparation is so important with auctions, so we're going to help you out in a little bit. Let's start with busts, though. Uh, Scott, the biggest bust of 2020 will be who? I am probably most concerned about. I don't. I don't know if this is the biggest, but Madison Bumgarner is somebody I'm concerned about. Should we define bust too? Because I think it's. Um. 
Yeah. Here's what I think people hear when they hear the term bust. I oh, hate man, this player. That guy's going to stink. I better not draft him. Like it, a total bottoming out. Uh, he's going to be useless for you scenario. And so when I put together my bust list, because I also have an un, an overrated ADP list, I actually tried to make it that guys with true bottoming out potential. Historically, that's not how my bust list has worked. It has included guys who are going uh, just that for an inefficient cost. And so we may have some of those nominees as well. But but I, I think people usually think of a bottoming out when they hear the term bust. And so somebody like Madison Bumgarner is is, is a player who I fear has true bottoming out potential. Yeah, just not good on the road when he was with the Giants. Yeah, the splits were horrible, horrible. the past two years. Uh, even though his overall numbers were decent, it's it was like... I mean, last year it was like a 150 ERA at home, and then, of course, just d- disastrous on the road. And uh, I- I'm not sure how that's going to go. I'm, I-, I think it could go very poorly for him. Obviously, his stuff hasn't been the same since his dirt bike accident early in 2017. And uh, he's really benefited from having the best pitcher venue uh, for half his games, and-, and now he won't have that. So he could have an ERA on the wrong side of 450, I think conceivably and if if that's the case he's probably going to be fairly useless or he could be fine i mean it's 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 uh uh, more likely than not he'll be fine more likely than not probably all of these guys will be fine but it's just is it is it a chance a risk worth taking at the point where they're going i would say no all right chris big bust not you. I think, you. yeah, I am. Uh, I think the most likely <laughs> player among the elite players to bust out is probably Fernando Tatis Jr., not Fernando Tatis Sr. Um, He's safe. I just, you look at, like, you don't want to bet against the 21-year-old who dominated in the minors as a very young player who was an elite prospect who came up to the majors and performed really, really well. But he's a guy who, when you look at the underlying numbers, it just doesn't seem to back up what he did um, last season. And then it's very different from Keston Hira, who we talked about yesterday, where you know Keston Hira had really an elite batted ball profile, which made up for the limited strikeout percentage. Fernando Tatis had an okay... Uh, bad ball profile, 61st percent in exit velocity, 80th percent in in hard hit rate, you know, 68th percent in xwoba. That's all fine, but it's certainly not what he did last year. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. if you're drafting him with the expectation that he's going to help you in batting average, in particular, uh, you could be in for a pretty rude awakening. And what if he stops running? Because over the final. Six weeks or so last year, um, which is which was after he returned from the hamstring injury because he missed some time with a couple injuries. One of them was the hamstring. When he first came back from it, he would, he kept running, but then later on he just stopped. And this is a phenomenon that tends to happen with guys who establish themselves as middle of the order bats. There's just not the same push for them to run as they're used to. So over the final six weeks last year, uh. He, so 13 for 16 on stolen bases in his first 49 games, three for six in his final 35. 
Like, I'm expecting the batting average to fall, but XBA was like 260-ish. His BABIP was over 400. 410. Yeah, a lot, a ton, a, a, a bad strikeout rate for Tatis and a bad ground ball rate, too. Really high ground ball rate, kind of like Vladimir Guerrero. Uh, and then on top of that, are we sure he's going to steal a lot of bases? There, there, There is a lot of room for him to regress. And given the second round costs, that's pretty scary. Yeah, he only stole three bases after the All-Star break. I don't know what it was after from Adam's birthday on. <laughs> uh, and he also had a, Tatis had a 410 bat, but he also had a 32 per, a 32% home run to fly ball rate. So those numbers really jump out at you. He hit 317 with 22 homers and 16 steals in 84 games. I mean, if you just double his numbers or slightly less than double it, you're talking about one of the best players in fantasy. But uh, let me ask you this. Let's say he hits 250. I'm not going to tell you what the steals are going to be, but I'm just going to say he hits 250. It's it's dependent on the steals. When if would you he, when would you draft him? When would you draft hits, him? I I I still think he'd pro- probably fall a little short of second round value, even if he has like a 30 20 season where he hits 250. But he'll he'll at least not be a bust. I, at least in, in my interpretation, he wouldn't be a bust if he did that. Um, but yeah, he would probably be. A little overvalued, even in that scenario. And we should also point out: I mean, Tatis's value in a points league is much lower, I'd have to say, yeah. than a roto league. And yeah, well, we say all of this with the caveat that he's twenty-one on opening day. Yep, he's an elite prospect, right? And he could just take a big step forward, in which case we'll all look it like idiots. You know, this <laughs> he could be the best could, player in fantasy. <laughs> yeah, this could. He was the yeah. second best player on a per game basis last year yeah. in Roto. If yeah. if he does cut the strikeout rate, one one really promising sign is he did have a thirteen point two percent barrel rate, which was, uh, you know, one of the twenty or thirty highest in the majors. It was top ten percent. So the skills are obvious. It's well, uh, just a question of whether he is ready and able to put all of the skills into action. I'm going to take uh, him in the third round. Like I think like middle of the third round. I, I no, you're not. see him go that far. Yeah, well, okay, I would take him. It, I would. And by the way, he was he was a stud in a points league too last year. Yeah, but but, but it's, his it's profile just, not, is not as good. You're not as willing to take the risk in a points league. In, in a roto league, you need those steals so badly that you are. Yeah. No, I, I I get it, but plate bad plate discipline is is uh like it's just a red flag in a points league. It's why his plate discipline isn't as bad as Alberto Mondesi's, but it's why Mondesi is like a a really valuable player in roto leagues potentially and borderline useless in point. Like he has to be amazing to be good in points leagues. Okay, he was good in points leagues last year. Yeah, but it, because it's, it's, because he was amazing when he was healthy. I mean, at the right. beginning of the season, he was amazing. When he's not, if all he does is steal, but he hits like crap, uh, Adalberto yes. Montesi is not going to be good. In points His leagues. value is less in points leagues. I, I I'm not trying to overcomplicate the issue, but I I think borderline useless is overstating it. I, well, I mean, you know, like a one in a twelve in a league where twelve shortstops are rostered, I think that's kind he, of what he should I be meant. toward the back end. Of that. Very much so. Yes. Okay. Um, all right. Let's get. So, I'm gonna go. Th- I'm gonna throw out some names as we sort of go down ADP. Uh, Tatis was the first name on my list, and we talked about him. Nolan Arenado. I bring him up because Joel Sherman recent recently wrote that it's it's basically it's a matter of when, not if Nolan Arenado gets traded. 
And he didn't say that it would necessarily be this year. could be next year. But at some point, he expects Nolan Arenado to get traded. And Joel Sherman is, you know, a very, very good baseball writer. Um, do you draft Nolan Arenado worried that he could get traded? And he obviously shouldn't be a first-round pick if he's not on Colorado, but he's still very good. But, but you know, just address that situation with Arenado. I don't worry about it that much. He's not going in the first round that often, which helps. I mean, he's definitively a first-round bat, but he gets pushed out just because he's not a steals guy. He's not a high-end arm, and there's more demand for those right now. Um, I don't know when he's going to get traded. You can't say for sure he is going to get traded. He'll, he should still be a stud if he's traded. His baseline would drop some. But not enough that I really worry about it now. Okay. Steven Strasburg is someone that Chris and I are worried about. And Strasburg, the last two times he's had a season with a lot of innings, it hasn't gone really very well for him the following season. The he pitched two hundred innings. Uh the last time he pitched two hundred innings in a season, he had he threw hundred and twenty seven and a third the following season with a three forty six ERA. In two thousand seventeen, Strasburg picked a, pitched hundred and eighty nine and a third. And he followed that with a 374 ERA in 130 innings in 2018. So, yeah, I I don't like him t- about 24th overall. I feel like Chris agrees. Scott, do you agree with our with our Steven Strasburg fears? I think the point of disagreement with Steven Strasburg, who I rank, I think, 10th at starting pitcher, maybe 9th. Uh, so, you know, I have him behind some of those guys, too. But I, I think... The reason I'm more enthusiastic about than you guys is, yes, there's still the injury risk. There's injury risk for all of these pitchers. But I feel like Steven Strasburg, I understand statistically it wasn't his best season, but some of the underlying changes make me feel more confident he can repeat that level of being a dominant pitcher. I got, part of the equation for Strasburg for me in the past is, well, how good is he really? I mean, he is good, but it was a, a definitive ace. And I couldn't answer that question. But the change in pitch mix and the rise in ground ball rate for Steven Strasburg, uh, I feel like he's progressed to a point that I don't have that lingering doubt anymore about whether or not he's an ace if healthy. I think he definitely is. So I, I'm more willing to take the chance on it because of that. I just I think you're overstating the impact of that. I think he like he's a different version of the same guy he always has been. Like if no, you look he, at his... he has a different pitch mix and he got right, right. That's what I mean. He's a different version of the same guy he's always been. You look at pretty much every peripheral, and with the exception of 2018, which was an abnormally poor season for him, like his ex woba is pretty much identical each of the last five seasons, except for 2018. His ex woba on contact, pretty much identical. His strikeout rate, pretty much identical. I just, I don't, I don't necessarily see, like he is a different pitcher, but the, like the inputs were different, but the outputs were pretty much the same as they've always been. But he's still really good. I mean, his yeah, right, his ERA right. is a little higher. Strasburg's ERA is a little higher than a true aces. He had the highest ERA of any of the pitchers who finished top twelve in points or roto, and it was three thirty two. But he reminds me, I've said this so many times, I'm sorry, but he reminds me of Chris Sale, who had 
His, he had a five-year stretch with a 305, 307, then 217, then 341 and 334 ERA. So only one season before the trade to Boston with an ERA below three. And when you watched Chris Sale, you just kind of felt like he could easily be a 250, 270 ERA type of pitcher. And what does he do in Boston? 290 and then 211 in his first two seasons. Strasburg's ERA has been hurt by injuries. He's pitched hurt. He's come off the IL and gotten lit up. He's been a better pitcher than that. I I don't have performance concerns with Strasburg. He's the most injury-prone pitcher in baseball, arguably, and people are just completely overlooking that. And that's my thing is that it's of all the guys who we downgrade for their injury history, Steven Strasburg's the one we're not. Yeah, it just doesn't make sense to me. It's weird. All right, um, moving on. I'll go through this list, and then you guys can give uh, yours. We've sort of identified Chris Glaber Torres, and again, it's it's like Tatis. Torres is like 22. He's he's a little bit older than Tatis. He's awesome, but uh, 28th overall for a guy who seems to at this point have one skill, and that's hitting for power. Is that fair to say? And you know, he's a guy I identify as a well. If the baseball changes, it could be bad news. Um, so Torres, 28th overall, feels a little early. It, it's, I don't want to just turn this into he's going too early. Like, is Glaber Torres going to be a bust? No, I don't think... I think the floor is very high for Glaber Torres. I think in that lineup, in that ballpark, it's hard to see something worse than, like, 270 and 30 homers. Um, yeah. I just think he's being drafted as, as an elite source of power, and I don't see... I have trouble seeing him doing that again, you know... I've cited the the stat about players who hit a uh, an abnormal amount of their home runs against one team, and yes, he will get to play the Orioles again. But pretty much every single player, I think there was eleven players previously who had hit at least eleven home runs in the same season against one team. I think only one of them didn't see their homers decrease the following year, and I think the average decrease was like nine or ten total, and so. You know, most of those guys hit like 50 homers. Glaber hit 38. So I wouldn't expect a 10 homer decrease. But, you know, I think you probably expect something more like 30, 32. And, you know, if he hits 270, 275 with 30, 32 homers, that's a profile that's pretty easy um, to find these days. So he's he's um the number one second baseman taken in a. Five by five league, according to Fantasy Pros ADP, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Even with the 38 last year, he was only the number six in terms of how he performed, and he's being taken number one. So if we think he kind of overachieved last year, and he was still only number six, what the yeah. heck are we doing there? Yeah. I, I mean, I agree that the bottom out potential here is pretty low, but yeah, I mean, this is an example of a guy who absolutely was like a headliner on my overrated, according to ADP list, even though he didn't show up on my my bust list. Yeah. Yeah, I played appearances had a little bit to do with that for Torres. He played 144 games. He had the eighth most played appearances among second base eligible players, or among second basemen. Um, but, yeah, I, I and I think the counting stats, 90, 90 RBIs, 96 runs, that's really good. But I think for him to be a third-round pick, it's probably going to have to be like... 220 combined you know counting stats it's not that like 100 100 still really good but there are a lot more players that score 100 runs than they used to 
uh, based on last year, which was an offensive explosion. So we'll see. And don't forget that lineup is going to at least open without Judge and Stanton. I don't know. I don't know how good that. It's going to be a good lineup, but it's already two of the biggest bats are injured. All right, uh, moving down my list, I'm going to finish up quickly and, and turn it over to you guys. Uh, concerns about Blake Snell, 37th overall. Do you think bust there? 37th overall for Blake Snell. That that. It's a lot. That seems like we're not downgrading him. Yeah, I I I only have all the drafts I've done so far. I've only gotten Blake Snell once. And I guess that explains why, because, yeah, I think that's there is injury risk. Obviously, he's been dealing with something this spring already and uh, beyond. And even even if he is healthy all year, he's probably not going to give you 200 innings. He's probably not going to give you that ace workload just because he gets he gets removed so early. And because he gets removed so early, that's going to impact his win potential as well. So that's. Definitely a guy with a high ceiling, but another instance where uh, things could go very wrong. Yeah, Scott's got Blake Snell 15th in his rankings. He's got guys like Corbin, Giolito, Castillo, Kershaw, and Nola ahead of him. I think you could make the case that he could be better in a Roto League. You don't get points for innings um, than a points league, but yeah, there's there's big injury risk. And I also will say that these ADPs... Are maybe I should do it like NFBC and look at a date range, but I'm just using Fantasy Pros, so they haven't adjusted. Like Chris Sale is still 37th, so they haven't adjusted for injuries. Um, all right, back to the list. Manny Machado, 53rd overall. This is the most overrated player, the most overdrafted player, the single most overdrafted player. What are we doing with Manny Machado? We're, I guess we're just calling last year a fluke, but the same thing kind of happened during his half season with the Dodgers. It's, it was a case of a guy who his home away splits at a, at a hitter friendly park, uh, always favored. He was always much better at home than on the road. And then when he leaves that hitter friendly park, suddenly his road numbers become his baseline numbers, which means, Pretty good power still, but that's about it. And like it's backed up by his batted ball profile. This is a guy who does not hit many line drives consistently. The line drive rate is low. And so he was kind of counting on the home run boosting effects of Camden Yards to sustain his batting average. And now obviously that's not true. I mean, he was especially bad at Petco Park last year. His numbers were just awful. Mm-hmm. 703 That's OPS. That's home. <laughs> yeah, so, and he's not that bad, but it's obviously going to be a downgrade. Yeah. Um, and, and like shortstop and third base, the two positions he's both eligible, those are the deepest positions. Home runs are very easy to find. I, uh, I think there's a little... I think people are banking on track record here, and um, I, I'm, I, I, I'm not sure they're taking a close enough look at it. Yeah. So I so far have done more of an overdrafted list instead of a bottom out, you're, you suck list. So let me turn it over to you guys. Scott, why don't you give me a few more busts? So we talked about Fernando Tatis, sort of his, uh, his cousin in terms of concerns is Vladimir Guerrero, who I referenced when I talked about Fernando Tatis. The, biggest issue, the big issue for Vladimir Guerrero, the strikeout rate was low. Uh, the high-end exit velocity, like his hardest hit balls, were among the hardest hit balls in the majors. He just put way too many on the ground. And 
if that doesn't change, he can't become the masher we're all hoping he'll be. It's just, it just doesn't add up to him being that. He needs to improve that ground ball rate, and he's being drafted, assuming he will. I don't think there's justification for that personally. I, third base is so deep, and there are just such greater needs than third base at the stage of the draft where Vladimir Guerrero goes, which is like round five, round six, right? Yeah. Uh, I just, I, like, I don't disagree, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to hold the ground ball right again because Juan Soto had I understand. A, yeah, and, and here's the other thing. But I, Juan I've been Soto put, was great even with the high ground ball rate. Yeah, but I, I've been meaning to say this. You know, like Aaron Judge is a ground ball hitter. The best hitters in baseball can be ground ball hitters who hit the crap out of the ball because that helps their batting average, even if they strike out a lot. And when they do put the ball in the air, they're going to have a high home run to fly ball rate. So I feel like Vlad can do that. I love hitters in the AL East. There are four good hitters parks in the AL East, and then there's Tampa Bay. Uh, and I don't know. Adam, I just Adam, Aaron Judge is not a ground ball hitter. He had... He hits. He he kind of is a ground ball hitter. He he's a line drive hitter. His line drive rate is what stands out the most when you break but down. He, the, he, I think he hits more ground balls than fly balls, doesn't he? His fly ball rate is fairly low for right, for a guy who I'll hits put it that for way. the power he does. Although it was its lowest last year in what was kind of an underwhelming season by Aaron Judge standards when like, he was on the field. Obviously, Vladimir Guerrero has to change as a hitter. Um, yeah. I think that when we. First started drafting months ago, I was kind of curious, where is he going to go? And I think getting to the fifth or sixth round, to me, it's worth it. And it's really so personal because I'm not basing this on what he did. You are, and that probably makes more sense. But I think a lot of people are going to come at it from my approach where it's just like, I don't care what, what he did as a rookie. I just, I know how excited we were about him a year ago. And I, you know, you, I think you had said best hitting prospects since Albert Pujols. So I'm willing. Well, best I had ever seen. I wasn't. I wasn't doing this when Albert Pujols came up. Okay, fair so enough. So I can't really compare him to that. But yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a total upside play. Total. I yeah. get it. I get it. But it's the downside to missing on that is given given the players going around him, given what you could get at third base instead later. Like to me, it it just it doesn't. Add up. The downside definitely outweighs the upside, and the most likes and the most likely scenario, considering it's what we just saw, is that the downside happens. It, it uh, ends up being reality. Eh, I don't know. I mean, what was his rookie year? <laughs> Guys, change. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's probably more likely, but it's just blind faith. And usually, you it make is a those little bit kind of blind faith. faith picks in like the team. But rounds, he also, not- but he also hit the crap out of the ball. Like he did hit the ball really hard. And last thing. Yeah. For me, anyway, is you're right that you know there's a lot at third base, but that actually helps him because you can draft a second third baseman later as your utility. And if Vlad is a bust, then you put him on your bench and wait for him to come out of a slump, hopefully. And you take that other third baseman, maybe it was Miguel Sano, eight rounds later, and you put him in at third base. But but what could you have had instead? You, of I mean, course, that's that's, that's always... the stage of the draft where those high end starting pitchers are beginning to disappear. That's one of your last chances to get one, and uh, no, I no. mean, I think you can wait a round or two and get Darvish, Bauer, uh, that group, uh, Kluber. Well. 
Maybe, but how many do you already have at that point? Do I don't have? think you're wrong. I I don't. It's it's not like I think you're wrong. I just think this is Scott's view on Vladimir Guerrero, yeah. and this is my view, and I feel like it's people are just going to have to decide how they feel about him. Well, well, clearly more agree with you based on the ADP. I mean, he's so. going 61st now. I, I think that's actually pretty good because I think that's fallen. That's yeah. the first pick of round six in a 12-team league. Yeah, yeah. All right, so um, any others, Scott? Oh, sure. Yeah, go, go yeah. like a rattle, rattle them off. I'll, the floor is yours. Give me a bust and a quick explanation like you did with the sleepers a couple of days ago. Okay. Um, so a couple of these guys, it, again, thinking in terms of bottoming out, they were already there at their worst last year. But in a way that concerns me going into this year, and if it happens again, like I worry about their job security. So Reese Hoskins is a good example of that. And he's talked about making some swing changes. He recognizes how awful things went for him. And maybe he'll be able to get back on track. But um, I, 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 think, I, I think there's enough of a sample of data there that you, like, we, it, now, it now makes sense that um, we now see the kind of player he is. And it's one who doesn't hit the ball especially hard, but he puts it in the air. So hits it hard enough that he puts it that when he puts it in the air as often as he does, he's going to end up with a lot of home runs. But it just totally dooms him in batting average. And uh, yeah, he gets by with it because he walks so much. But if anything were to change there, uh, like a, a slugging first baseman who just doesn't have a great all around hitting ability, like that, that's a guy whose job is vulnerable. I feel like so. Ugh, yeah, you I'm worried about Reese Hoskins. So annoying about Hoskins is that like I feel like. He and Trey Mancini, they are back-to-back picks, 106th overall. And I feel like that's the end of the startable first baseman. You know, after that, I I, I, th- I think it's probably uh, Edwin Encarnacion. Car- now, Carlos yeah, now, Carlos Santana is there, but that's in a Roto League. Not a, he won't be there in a points league. I agree. Uh, yeah. Oh, hey, Chris. <laughs> Welcome back. Um. So, yeah. So you'd rather have Mancini than Hoskins, right, Scott? Yes, uh, I think it's. I think you could make the case for Hoskins over Mancini in a points league because of how much he walks and because he's not. You don't worry about the batting average potential there. But um, even then, I think I'd go Mancini. Give me two more, and then I'll throw it over to Chris. Chris, Chris, by the way, had a uh, mic issue. That's why I hadn't been talking to him for the last. Five Look, minutes. we all have. Uh, our routines in the morning and sometimes you record a podcast earlier and it messes up with your routine yeah and yeah. some of those sometimes those routines have to happen yeah it wasn't a bike issue as you probably have now figured out i was trying to save face uh for chris scott two more go <laughs> okay so a guy i fear has bottoming out potential is uh <laughs> I can't decide which one I want to say, but I'm I'm going to say Andrew Benintendi. I just want nothing to do with Andrew Benintendi. I understand there's a discount now if you're looking at it from the context of even last year where he was drafted and certainly like two years ago where he was drafted. But it's been a year and a half of him just being useless. Uh, basically, Nick Markakis level production. So if that's who he is, then it's still a 
reach to draft them among the top 30 outfielders. It's still a pick that um, is going to be a total waste for you. Uh, he doesn't okay. run much anymore. He's stopped hitting for power. He's not even a reliable source of batting average. So what are we doing there with him? <laughs> we have an email about him on the mailback show. I'll give a counterpoint. Not a disagreement, just a, hey, there's this scenario for Ben Benintendi. Uh, one more. Okay, so this is more of just he's overdrafted. I'm going to go with Javier Baez, I think, is probably the second most overdrafted player after Manny Machado for... 40th overall. Uh, yeah. And, like, he's he's an okay source of batting average. He's, he's going to hit you 30-ish home runs, probably. Uh, he's going to be a useful player. But to go that high you're counting on steals again that just weren't there last year. And it was, the rate was so bad that I don't think we should be counting on them being there. If he's just another slugging shortstop, and it sounds funny to say from somebody who's been playing fantasy a long time, but that's there's just so many of them. Why are you using your fourth-round pick on that? Yeah, and he goes, Baez and, and Albies are basically back-to-back in drafts. It's a clear call for me to go Ozzy Albies. Right. Yeah, weaker position helps in scarcer categories. Yeah, he's just a I, better all-around I player. Def- and I, I haven't drafted Ozzy Albies yet either because I don't think he's great value or you look at to do other things at that point. But it's it's a more logical pick to me than Baez. All right, Chris, give me a few busts on your list. So when I did my bust list, I did it in kind of a different way, and I kind of went with guys with risk factors rather than guys I definitely think are busts. But... One of the the key ones for me, and it's a guy I haven't really, I don't think I've drafted at all, is Pete Alonso. Um, I think in an era where there's probably six or seven guys who could hit 50 homers, I don't know why we're reaching at number 26 overall for a guy who's done it. Like He had a great rookie season, but... As we've seen with someone like Aaron Judge, I think being probably the most high-profile example, yes, he's dealt with injuries the last two seasons, but even when he was on the field, he didn't hit for the same power he did his first season. There, There is a tendency, I think, to assume that a rookie season sets a baseline, and that's just not the case. He could have just had a career year as a rookie. It wouldn't be the first time that's happened. I believe that he's good, but I'm... I'm not 100% convinced he's better than Matt Olson. Are you saying he's Bob Hamlin? Is that what you're saying right now? I was more Chris Coughlin, the next Chris Coughlin. <laughs> All right, Pete yeah, Alonzo. That's the one that's close to my heart. You've pretty much convinced me to skip over Pete Alonzo and go. I like I like Matt Olson. So, yeah, um, Matt Olson goes like 30 picks later. Uh, who else? Other busts? Uh, other busts I actually believe in. Ooh, that's a tough one. <laughs> I've got some. Liam Hendricks. Actually, I I think Liam Hendricks is a perfect example of what you should try to avoid on draft day. It's a single-year breakout as a reliever. He threw as many innings last season as Frankie Montas. And, hey, I believe in Frankie Montas, but Frankie Montas doesn't have a track record of being a pretty mediocre pitcher the way Liam Hendricks does. Liam Hendricks was an okay guy to have in your bullpen for the last few seasons. He has this crazy out-of-nowhere season, 
And we're just like, oh, he's a, a top five closer now. And like, didn't we learn our lesson with the last guy who the Athletics opened the season with as their closer coming off a giant breakout season? Like Trinan? Yeah. Who uh, lost his job to Liam Hendricks. I yeah. believe the Athletics have had a different saves leader in each of the last six seasons. <laughs> yeah, and I will say, like, Hendricks, 180 ERA, 124 strikeouts in 85 innings. He was awesome. Unbelievable. Yeah, they, second they, most strikeouts after Hader. They DFA'd him two seasons ago. His velocity went up. But, uh, you, you know, don't just look at his career numbers because you ha- if you filter out the starts, you just look at the four seasons before 2019, he had mostly been a reliever. Still wasn't really that good. 369 ERA, yeah, like Chris said, 369 ERA, 1.23 whip, but he did have 10 strikeouts per nine, only two, only 2.4 walks. Uh, but all right, Liam Hendricks, and I'm going to say Josh Hader is a pretty big bust in a points league, not in a roto league. I want to clarify that, but on CBS in points leagues, Josh Hader is going 52nd overall. He had the fewest fantasy points for the number one relief pitcher. In the last ten decades, all the guys who finished number in the ten years, sorry, last decade, all the guys who finished number one in the last ten years, Josh Hader had the the lowest fantasy point total and the fewest saves of any of those closers. The way they use him, they use him for an inning and two thirds or two innings or something like that, and it takes away the amount of times he can appear in a game, and that takes away the amount of saves he can have, and that's the biggest factor in points leagues. So in Roto. Absolutely not a bust. Love Josh Hader. Could be the backbone of my pitching strategy. But in a points league, given the fact that we have so many good Sparps this year, given the fact that you only need a roster two RPs and those Sparps are included, I hate Josh Hader in the 50s. I will basically— You're a hater. You're yes, a hater, hater. I will never have Josh Hader on my team in a points league. And one, got... one more closer, Kenley Jansen. I know the spring stuff apparently is good. I'm just— not really buying it. And that's a guy who has the chance to really bottom out and be awful. No Kenley yep. Jansen on my teams. One more. Uh, Jordan Alvarez. Oh, he is, fight. He's ha- he has a, I mean, it's a short track record of injuries because he has a short track record in general. Um, but last season was the first time he had ever played more than 90 games in a year. And he dealt with knee soreness na- last year. Now in spring training, he's already dealing with knee soreness, and there's a lot of reports that he's basically not expected to play in the outfield at all. So you're probably looking at DH or utility only all season. And yeah, he's a great, great hitter, I think. He's had the one really good season, or the one elite season across the majors and minors. He was good in 2018, but not at that level. So just for me, it it's hard to buy the one-year breakout when it could be a one-year wonder, especially given that he already has health concerns at such a young age and he's utility only. I don't I don't see any reason to take uh, Jordan Alvarez when you can get Nelson Cruz, you know, 50 picks later or whatever the, the difference is. Maybe, okay. though I do think Jordan Alvarez, and I thought we agreed we were calling him Jordan now. I'm on you. I'm on Team Jordan. Up. Yeah, I'm on um, I I think he's I think he's underdrafted given what he given the his ceiling versus the players the ceiling of the players going around him. He's somebody I like to draft. I'm not saying there isn't bust potential there. I think it's possible somebody could be underdraft underdrafted and still have a bust case. You could make a bust case for most anybody, I guess. Yes, but. 
But yeah, he's somebody I end up drafting a lot because I feel like minus any hope of steals, there's a chance he's close to Mike Trout level just as a pure hitter. Um, and to get that in round three, sometimes as late as round four, I, I'm I'm happy to do that. All right, that's Jordan Alvarez. I just want to say one more name. I know it's not bad value, and his position eligibility is probably worth having him, but I just don't see myself drafting Danny Santana. 353 Babbitt had a 706 OPS in his last 47 games. Kind of feel like he got figured out and just was a really horrible hitter from 2015 to 2018. So the hard contact rate was great for Danny Santana, but I just... I just can't see it. And they might hit him yeah. in the middle of the order. And that didn't seem to matter last year in terms of steals. But if Danny Santana is hitting in the middle of the order for the Rangers, he might not run. So I just... One more. All right, One go. More. Go. Eduardo Escobar. Oh, really? Yeah. Why? I, 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 I talk about people who underperformed their expected stats a lot. He's a guy who overperformed his expected stats and had this monster year in his 30s that it isn't backed up by the underlying numbers. So I'm always apologizing for the guys who have the late breakout and is it, it is backed up, but his isn't. And uh I mean we Chris has talked before about Jose Abreu's RBI total, how just unlikely it is to happen again, just law of averages. Like that's not going to happen again. I don't care if the White Sox lineup is better. It shouldn't have happened in the first place. Eduardo Escobar's RBI total might be a more egregious example of that all right facebook group join it it's fantasy baseball today facebook.com slash groups slash fantasy baseball today i started a new keeper thread a few days ago you can reply to that and hopefully get some feedback from the listeners mailbag show coming tomorrow i want to thank you all for your comments and your questions and apple podcasts very helpful stuff and much appreciated and go to cbssports.com slash newsletters and sign up get our fantasy baseball today newsletter you get some the great content right in your inbox, podcast stuff, uh, you know, breaking news kind of stuff, Chris Sale reaction, you know, all that stuff could be in the newsletter, cbssports.com slash newsletters. A few quick notes. Baltimore manager Brandon Hyde, he said that Hunter Harvey is an option to close and that Harvey has closer stuff. He was effusive in his praise of Hunter Harvey, who yep. has had a 142 ERA and 11 strikeouts with four walks in six and a third last season. Obviously, they stink. They had the seven yeah. fewest save opportunities last year, but don't forget about Hunter Harvey. I drafted him in Tout Wars. After there, there uh, go. I invested very little in saves, but I have two projected closers and one possible closer in him, so I'm I'm hopeful. The White Sox signed Yoan Moncada to a five-year, $70 million deal. A.J. Puck, good news. He does not have structural damage in his shoulder, and he's going to be on an innings limit, apparently about 120 innings this year for A.J. Puck. But this is not a big setback for him. It doesn't seem. Oscar Mercado has a sprained wrist. Keep an eye on that. He's got 20 steal potential, Mercado. 25? Yeah, I think it might be more. Oh, really? I I was going to say that's about as far as I go. Wasn't he a bigger steals guy in the minors? Am I remembering? Everybody was a bigger bigger steals guy in the minors. Sure, but he was like a 50 steal guy in the minors. Had a pretty good success rate so i i think there's like he's still 29 between triple a and the majors in 145 games last year yeah he, i think there's probably has, 30 steals. he was a big steal 50 33 38 and 31 steals in his last four minor league seasons i just don't really know if he's that good of a hitter 
but uh, we'll find out. Oscar Mercado and yeah. uh, Casey Mize, starting pitcher for the Tigers. He had a good outing against the Yankees yesterday, and just we haven't really talked about Casey Mize. And where does he fall in with that Dylan Cease, Michael Kopech, Mitch Keller group? He's less likely to reach the majors this year, I think, just because the Tigers have nothing to play for. And it's going to be interesting who makes the majors first between him, Tariq Skubal, and Matt Manning, who are all kind of on the same level and have similarly dominated in the minors. Tariq Skubal's probably been... It was one year. He kind of broke out last year, but it was the most dominant of all of them and has gotten the most buzz this spring. And finally, the Brewers committed highway robbery, signing Christian Yelich to a seven-year, $188.5 million deal. Very impressive. All right, auctions. 15, 20 minutes on auctions here. Email from Matt. What is your nor? This is a huge email. This is a big part of auctions. What is your normal strategy for nominating players in an auction league? I typically nominate guys that I want no part of, so the rest of the league spends their money. I've been finding lately, though, that I've been getting in bidding wars later in the draft for the guys that I am waiting on. Yep. yep. So would I be better off nominating players that I want early on in drafts? I would say... As a general rule, yes, nominate guys you don't want, especially if it's a, if it's a, especially if you're expensive yeah, well, guys. I'll just leave it expensive nominate guys. guys you don't want, generally speaking. Yeah, but but, but guys that are going to go guy, for a lot, get a lot of money off the off the board. Don't nominate a fifteenth round pick that you don't want. If there is a guy that your whole auction strategy depends on, or you know the stage of the auction you've reached from that point forward, that is the single guy you're counting on. Go ahead and throw them out there because you don't want to end up in a position where you're passing up these great values waiting around for your guy. And then when he finally does get nominated, you realize it was unrealistic you were going to get him in the first place. And then you have this pile of money that you could have used on those other players that now there's nothing left to use it on. How much do you nominate him for? Okay, so for me, let's say it's Nomar Mazzara and I really want I I think he should be a dollar player in a... 12-team, five-outfielder league, maybe $2 because people will like him, but he hasn't he doesn't earn that. But do I go ahead and nominate him for $1 or do I nominate him for $2? And if you're listening and you've never done an auction, this might sound stupid, but like if I nominate him for a dollar, the next bid obviously goes to someone else. I can't make the next bid. If I don't get him for a dollar, I have to bid $3. Like, yeah. You know, it it, 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 it so... You cannot if you dominate a guy for a dollar, you can't get him for two. You're either getting him for one or you're getting him for three or more. So you have yeah. to decide is Nomar Mazar well, worth three dollars? And if not, then maybe you nominate him for two. And you say, yeah. All right, if anybody wants to well, go three, then go for it. I'll nominate him for that, two. That kind of gets to end game strategy too, which I which I actually feel like is the most important part of the auction. Um and the way I handle that is I I don't when you're down to your last few dollars, right? Obviously, with early in the auction, when mostly big name players are being nominated, you throw a guy out there for a dollar, knowing he's going to go for well more than that. So you don't really get into those mind games of how much should I nominate him for. But if it's you're you're down to your last few dollars, usually it's a point where I basically my my total balance is double my max bid. That's about the range where I'm talking about the guys I nominate aren't actually the guys I want at that point. It's it, and so I nominate them for a dollar hoping somebody goes two. If nobody does, like I I nominate a guy who I wouldn't mind getting for a dollar, but it's not one of the guys I'm really wanting sure. either. 
Um, yeah. And so I let I let somebody else bid on it. the guys I really want. That's when I do wait for somebody else to nominate them. And then I jump in immediately with the second dollar. Or if it's mm. somebody I really, really want, I go straight to three so that I don't wind up in a position where I'm going to have to pay four. You know, And it's a big so deal. I, a, do- a dollar counts. Yeah, I, I thought the last, the head-to-head auction we did last week, right? Last Friday? Mm-hmm. I really, really liked my team. I thought I kind of crushed that draft. And one thing I found was I really liked having like, $16 left for the last like six or seven roster spots rather than like eight, which a yeah. lot of people will end up with yeah. because but by the last few picks, I was pretty much able to get anyone I want. I always, do I, that, stole, I stole, I stole Marcana from Scott. He was very upset. Uh, there were another couple guys that I was able to push to like three or $4 to get. And it's just, it also, there's going to be one person in your draft at that point. Who's got like $40. And so you you also have the freedom to make them pay for the guys that they want. So, uh, that, so that was actually that was actually a rare instance that auction where I was down to one dollar bids for like my last six spots or so, which I almost never do. It was a situation where and, I felt like I felt like I needed another arm, and so I had to the, go max bid on Sean. And the yet. the reason for that uh-huh. was the other thing I wanted to say, which was that. Maybe it'll be different in the auction that we're doing today, which is a roto auction, but pitchers went for stupid prices last week. I get why they did, but one thing I had a lot of success with in that auction was buying a lot of hitters early because they just, their prices were so ridiculously low. I think I got played. Yeah, I don't, I don't think for the like, roto one's going to go low. Uh, but listen, yeah, I mean, but, but they're bringing up a good point. Because the reason why I don't do more auction talk on the podcast, I get, can you do more auction? They're all different. So yeah. it, you can't go by ADP. That stuff goes out the window. So I think Chris makes a good point. I think it's important to adjust to what's happening in your auction. And if you're saying, sure. well, I refuse to pay this much for pitching or, or this much for this or whatever, but if everybody else is doing it, you have to adjust. It's almost the mm-hmm. same strategy as a draft. If you want to get aces, and everybody else is taking pictures before you thought you had to. Well, you, then you got to get in on that run, even if it's against your core auction values or draft values. Or but your, I, I will know. say, if it goes as extreme as it did last week, buy elite hitters. I think I had like four or five first or second round hitters. All right. Well, yeah, you yeah. Could, you could do that too. And but, like, but yes, don't you be need a, pitching. But yeah, don't I mean, be that rigid. It's more of a player pool discussion. Don't because, be rigid. Like I. I think it particularly in a points league. I'm of the mindset you just can't win without good pitching. It's just, it's just not going to happen. So, I, I I was not adjusting that particular part of my approach. But as a general rule, if we're talking about auctions more generally, then then yes, I think what projected auction values are best for their best application uh, is just knowing that the math's already been done there. That two hundred sixty dollars has been distributed for however many roster spots among 12 teams. And so if if you see the high-end players all going for less than the projected auction values, you're going to know, oh, that means there's going to be more money spent later on the mid-range guys who probably aren't going to make as big of an impact for my team anyway. I should probably buy more of these high-end guys than I had planned to originally. And that's another good point. So there's this, the studs and duds approach. And then there's the kind of balanced lineup approach. So 
how do you determine which approach to take, Scott? And obviously, league depth matters here. Yes, that that's everything. Standard 12-team league, or certainly anything shallower, I go studs and duds. Well, I what go is studs that? and duds. I know but, there's going to be a robust waiver wire. I'm confident on. in my ability to find breakouts there. Question. Give hold me. on, hold on. Standard 12-team okay. league. What's the roster size, though? Well, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking a roto league, so even bigger than a head-to-head league. So even in the, in the auction we're going to do in, in two hours, which is five yeah. outfielders, two catchers, corner infield, middle infield, plus first, second, third, short, uh, and, yeah. and utility, and then nine pitcher spots and seven bench spots. So that's a lot of players. So 30-man rosters on 12 teams. Yeah. You, yeah. you still go studs and duds there. Studs and duds. The robo- the wire- waiver wire won't be as robust, but there will be players emerging on it. And not only that, but the kind of hitters that I can get for two dollars, because I'm not I'm not going to be the guy settling for one dollar players at the end, and you know having to wait every time it, having to nominate a guy for one dollar, seeing somebody outbid him, and having to wait through another round of nominations to nominate the next guy, and ending up with all the worst remaining players because of that. I'm I'm going to be the guy jumping in and stealing those guys for two or three dollars. Um I'm going I'm I think the low end hitters that are purchased in the auction that way are of a high enough quality. And even if they don't work out, there are going to be fallback options emerging on waivers. So yes, I want the impact players who the kind of players who I'm normally making two for one offers for during the season and getting rejected for just Go ahead and buy them outright. Have them there from the beginning, and uh, trust yourself to 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 fortify the roster around them as the season plays out. Chris, do you have a? You said you want to have money at the end, so I agree. I I okay. Let me start by saying this: an auction is an opportunity to get any player you want. You know, every player's up for grabs. You don't have to mm-hmm. worry about who's taking who. Obviously, you have a budget, but um, if I am in a with the auction we're doing today, if I walk out of it without two top fifteen players, I'm gonna be very very disappointed. Uh, I really want to identify how many elite players there are, and I want to get at least two of them. But that might cost me a lot of money. However, I pretty much every single auction I've done, I always have money left at the end, and I love having money left at the end. And I yeah, love you just the, you don't want to have the most money. Yeah, and I love having. I, I'm not going to go crazy at the beginning of the auction because people get a little bit impatient. You have to be patient because a guy like Nick Castellanos could be a steal. A guy like Eddie Rosario could go for $5. You just never know. Those it, mid-round it, players that people aren't excited about necessarily, they just become these great values. You don't want to be shut out of that. So I think it's important to to be patient in an auction and not spend too much too early. I, I think it depends because sometimes you'll see the guys that get auctioned go early, go really, really high. And then sometimes you'll see that those guys don't end up going for all that much more than the next tier down because people start to get desperate. That's what happened in the auction league last week where the second tier of pitchers really, really got pushed up. And so, you know, I was able to get Justin Verlander for less than Zach Greinke ended up going for. And so I, I don't think you want to just sit it out. It just you no, you have to read no. it and, and set your set your limits. And uh, tiers, I think you sort of touched on that. Scott, talk about the importance of tiers in auctions. 
So that's another instance where you might want to nominate the guy you actually want. If if it's if it's nearing if a tier is nearing depletion at a position and you don't want to have to settle for the next tier down at a position, um, either go ahead and nominate one of the last two remaining guys, or even the last guy. And um, so certainly if it's like not the last guy, because the the last guy in a tier tends to go for a lot more that like, for instance, even if we're just talking to the high end, um, let's say Mike Trout gets nominated and he only goes for $40. And then Christian Yelich, he doesn't even quite get to 40. You know what that means? It probably means everybody's expecting to buy Ronald Acuna. And Ronald Acuna then goes for $52. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the most extreme example, but it, it can happen. It can happen further down in the tiers at different positions too. Right. And you don't want to be left out of a tier. So let's say you don't want to be weak at first base and Freeman's off the board and Bellinger's off the board. And hold on, let me just get the actual first base ADP up. Right. So Bellinger, Freeman, Alonzo, Rizzo, LeMayhew, they're all off the board. And you're said to yourself, okay, I want one of these guys. I want Goldschmidt, Olsen, Abreu, Muncie, Josh Bell. And after that, that's 10 first basemen. I want a te- top 10 first baseman. Okay, well now, let's say Goldschmidt's off the board. Abreu's off the board. Now you really don't want to keep waiting necessarily. If you're tiering Matt, Olsen, Muncie, and Bell together, you don't want to be the last one because you're going to have to pay so much more, but not necessarily. You might have to pay a lot more, right? Because as these guys, as the tier shrinks... The demand becomes higher for Matt Olson or whatever. Be the second or third to last uh, to yeah. in that tier because if you wait until the end, if you're the last person to, to if you're getting the last guy in a tier, then there's going to be three or four people that you're bidding against. They all want that player, and all of a sudden Matt Olson just went for five more dollars than Paul Goldschmidt did. Uh, you know, two rounds of bidding bidding ago. So that's something to keep in mind as well. Uh, two things I'm going to be doing is making a list of players that I want. It, you know, and it could be, it's mostly going to be the cheap players because those are the ones that are easiest to forget about. Now, Scott and Chris, all of us, like, we're going to do a lot of drafts and it's going to be a little bit easier for us. But if you're just a casual fantasy baseball player, I really think it's easy to forget about some players that you might want. So make a list, um, you know, and queue them up if you want, but just be aware that if you are on the clock in a CBS league and they're in your queue, they're going to get automatically nominated if you if you miss your time to nominate. Uh, and then also identify players that help in particular categories. Okay, I have a batting average list. I have a steals list. I have, you know, I, I may have forgot. Hold on, let me find my list. Um, you can go find a good list of this on CBSSports.com. I tiered players by skill, batting perfect. average, home runs, and stolen bases. That's so. perfect. And, like, yep. I have a late-round pick list, and I have Shogo Akiyama on there. And if I didn't do that before... The draft today, I never would have remembered about Shogo Akiyama, and somebody would have nominated him, and I'd be like, oh, I should have nominated him for a dollar or something like that, but I kind of like him. Uh, so just, you know, have a list of players you want and uh, be prepared. Being prepared and being patient. The two Ps of auctions, ladies and gentlemen. Do you guys have any other tips you'd like to give out? I, I would I would say the very biggest tip, and it's kind of just driving home the point that I was making earlier is 
the time the time to be patient is when your max bid is about half of what your balance is. And once that happens, or it could be a little before them, but about at that point, you have to change your approach entirely. You start nominating players you don't really want but could live with for a dollar. And then you have in mind the ones that you're ready to pounce on when somebody else nominates them. The ones you want go straight to $2. The ones you really want go straight to $3. And then don't go beyond that. And don't hesitate. Because if you're checking your notes, ah, do I really want this guy? Somebody else is going to jump in with a $2 bid. And, and then you have to go 3 And that's you just wasted a very valuable dollar at that point. So that would be that would be my biggest thing to consider when you're doing an auction. Also, beware of the jump bids. Like when <laughs> yeah. someone so goes, like a player's at 20 and someone puts in a $35 bid and you were about to hit the plus one button. Yeah. I don't use the plus button, one button, for that reason. I, I don't. Oh, that's I interesting. I type in my auction amount. That's interesting. Uh, don't azer it. This is the last thing. There, there's always at least one player of the 30, well, I guess 23 that we do a 23-man auction, like 23-round auction, basically, and then a seven-round reserve draft. So we auction the first 23 players on our, our rosters. There's always at least one player where I, I get him, and I'm like, why did I do that? I don't even want this guy. Yeah. <laughs> I always do that. I get I get like antsy. I go, oh, this guy. Like it's a shiny new toy. <laughs> Just don't do yeah. that. And that's why it's important to, to pay attention to tiers to really yep. know who you want. You, I think that the you go into the auction with a general idea of the players that you want, how you want your team to look. And just, again, it's about preparation and, and uh, patience. PP. PP on your auction. All right, good stuff, guys. Now let's do now let's do our mailbag. So you'll hear from us on Saturday. And uh, have a great Friday, everybody. See you.